if I had a do-over, understand that my dad had two sons, and he envisioned in his old age that we would golf with him. And he bought this son golf lessons. And if I had a do-over, I would have traded in those golf lessons for fly fishing lessons. I would have traded in those golf lessons for uh, gardening lessons. Why? Because gardening up here is a challenge, isn't it? I mean, to try and grow tomatoes or peppers up here, it takes prayer as well as skill. And I would have had gardening lessons. I mean, there would have been a ton of things instead of golf lessons because I found out every time I played golf with my dad, his partners would say, your son's a Christian? I seemed to lose my patience and with that my testimony almost every time. Later they said, and your son's a minister? <laughs> Uh, you couldn't tell by the way I golfed. Well, you know, it's easy to laugh about some of those things that we'd have to, if we had our choice, we'd live over. But how about when you think of some evil or destructive event in your life, if you had that to do over, would you choose to do it? We're looking at the life of Joseph, and as we look at the life of Joseph, we understand that he has gone through a whole series of things. Uh, one misadventure, one uh, adversity after another. And I, I don't know, but maybe that is something that he would like to do over. Here's one that's more recent. We have a picture here of June Steenkamp and Savannah Guthrie. On February 14, 2013, uh, Olympic athlete from South Africa and a dual amputee, no legs, Oscar Pistorius, killed his girlfriend, Rena Steenkamp, at his apartment, uh, thinking that she was a home invader. When he gave his story, it was very fishy, so he was found guilty. Uh, but he was just recently in the news again that after, for a 10-year sentence, he was, no, for a six-year sentence, he was released after 10 months to home custody. So Savannah Guthrie gets on, uh, gets on the Today Show, and she interviews Rena's mother, June. And it shows all these pictures of continually saying goodbye to, to Rena. They're at the beach, and they're throwing flowers in the Indian Ocean, and all these ways of trying to remember her because she's gone. Everybody would like that night as a do-over. Everybody involved. I'm sure Oscar would, too. But uh, Savannah asks the big television question, the one that is probably not appropriate, but it makes for good television. Have you forgiven? Have you forgiven Oscar yet for killing your daughter? <sighs> Savannah, I like her. But I have to, I have to say, when you try to do personal, up close and personal things in front of an audience of several million. It, you've got to think of what's appropriate or not. But everybody is asking that. They ask about it in Charleston. They ask about it in every one of our net, in, in all of our disasters. Have you forgiven this person yet? Well, I see, first of all, the question is totally inappropriate. But on the other end, one of the things that's revealed is that uh, uh, Oscar has never asked forgiveness of Rena's family. And then when it comes to psychology, not facts and figures, but psychology, usually what you need to work at is overcoming loss. 
and, and injustice in your life. And so the human question should be more, have you accepted the loss of your daughter yet? But no one asks that question. You see, now we're in uh, uh, the story of Joseph, Genesis 37 to 50. And I guess if he was on television, they would say, have you forgiven your brothers yet for selling you into slavery? Or they would say, have you forgiven Potiphar's wife for lying about you that you had uh, uh, tried to rape her? Have you forgiven uh, the Pharaoh's butler yet for forgetting about you for two years in prison? Have you forgiven these people yet? And I think if he was honest, he would say, no, but I'm working on it. I'm working on forgiving. You see, we believe as humans, because we all took geometry, that the shortest distance between two points is what? Oh, man, you passed two. Okay. <laughs> so it's, it's a straight line. And that works for geometry. It just doesn't work real well for humanity. Why do I say that? Because we're not facts and figures. We're people where the, our emotions are changing all the time. And so if we think that these, this whole journey of forgiveness should just be a straight line, just a very short distance, and we can, up, we can wake up one morning and say, it has happened, I have now forgiven, then believe me, you are fooling yourself. The, the journey of forgiveness is like a, is like a mountain trail. You, you go on a mountain trail, you got a 20-mile hike for the day. And, 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 and when you take that 20-mile hike, you're sort of loaded down with baggage, just like all of us carry around in our lives. But more than that, you'll notice that on a 20-mile trail in the mountains, you'll go up thousands of feet, you'll go down, you'll descend thousands of feet. And, and more than that, uh, when you're done, your, your path has been so uh, uh, circuitous that you have, uh, you, know, you have no idea that where you finally end up is only two miles from where the crow flies, from where you started. Now, I don't know if crows can fly over 14,000-foot peaks. I imagine they can, but let's say they can. You are so close to where you started, but it's taken you all day to get there. That is what forgiveness is, is like. The journey of forgiveness has wrong turns on the path. It has detours. It has good and bad days. It has uh, uh, high-speed sections, but it also has places where there's total breakdowns on the road. And it also has many opportunities for revenge. And revenge sometimes can be so tempting. So we're catching up with Joseph. And we're with his family on the road. And and we're noticing that one of the things that's going on is he's going from holding a grudge to showing grace. So for those of you who aren't with us weekly, Joseph is sold rather than murdered by his own ten brothers uh, because of his arrogance. He is sold into slavery into Egypt, and he goes from being a slave in a household to being the household manager. But because uh, the the, um, uh, husband's wife uh, lies about him, he is thrown into prison. But once again, he rises up, and he finds himself as a convict managing the whole prison. And in that prison, he interprets the dreams of two of Pharaoh's own staff members. And one, I mean, within three days, they're both fulfilled. One is killed or executed, and the second one is restored to his position and back with Pharaoh. Then a couple years later, Pharaoh has two dreams. And, 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 and Joseph, who's still in the prison because 
the one who was released forgot all about him. Two years later, on that very same morning, he goes from prison to the palace and, and he hears Pharaoh's dreams and he interprets them. Now, not only does he interpret them, but Pharaoh was so impressed, says, you're going to be the one who takes charge of the whole country. Because you have predicted that my dreams will, will have seven years of, of, of great prosperity, of abundance, of the harvest is overflowing, but it's going to be followed by seven years of famine. And so I am hiring you, Joseph, even though you're a foreigner, uh, even though uh, you come from Canaan, even though you're not Egyptian, I'm hiring you to be number two. You're number two in the entire kingdom of Egypt, and we are counting on you to save this country. And sure enough, after seven years of prosperity, the famine begins, and the Egyptians uh, have, over those seven years, saved at least 20% of their crops for the bad years coming. And they save those, and they find the Egyptians now, in this time of famine, are coming to Joseph to seek for aid, but so are people from other countries, and guess who shows up? His brothers, the ten brothers, who sold him into slavery, show up, and they're asking for food. Now, Joseph recognizes them. They do not recognize him. He's an Egyptian leader. They never dreamed that that would be happening to him. And so in that time, you might call it revenge, but it really is putting them to the test. Maybe you'd call it gentle revenge. He calls them spies. He puts them in prison for three days. He demands that one brother, Simeon, stays in prison while the other nine return home. And the only way they're going to prove their story is that they bring the brother who did not come, Benjamin, and bring him back and show him to him. Benjamin, you might say, is the price for the hostage of Simeon. He wants to see all 11 brothers. That would verify their story and release Simeon. Now, I'm talking real fast because this is catching you up, okay? And I'm going to talk real fast in another section, and then I'll slow down. Speeding up again, okay. So, the brothers get home. They share the, they share the plan with, with, with Daddy Jacob, and Daddy Jacob is thinking this way. Okay, I've lost... I, I, I've lost my favorite son, Joseph. Now I've lost uh, another son, not, not my favorite, but Simeon. I've got 12. I've got plenty to spare, okay? And, and, and now, now you want my next favorite son. You want Benjamin. There's no way. So Jacob, the father of these 12, who has lost one, who was hiding another, and who has one in prison waiting for the others to show up, he does nothing. What a dad. What a dad. What a bad dad. So he, you know, he, 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 he's probably locked in confusion. He doesn't know what to do. So when locked in confusion, what do you do? You do nothing. And he does nothing until the grain runs out. And so under pressure from all of his sons, because they want Simeon back, and under the pressure of, of oncoming starvation, he finally lets them return with more grain, with Benjamin, and Benjamin is with them. So in chapter 43, all 12 sons are together in Egypt, but only Joseph knows it. And he, has, he is holding all the cards to seek revenge. So the 11 brothers are brought into Joseph's house and they wait for uh, Joseph's arrival. And he shows up as, you know, the first person under Pharaoh himself. They fear the worst 
And they should. They are carrying around this guilt about selling Joseph. They're also carrying back with them uh, silver that they found in the sack that was supposed to pay for the, the grain. But, but uh, Joseph snuck it back in. So now they're, they're guilty, they're afraid, and, and, uh, and, 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 and so they have this inner feeling. And, and you see it in, in, in chapter 43, verse 18. And let me ask, have you ever been told to appear before somebody saying, uh-oh, it's going to happen now? It should have happened before, but it's going to happen now. You're thinking the worst, and sure enough, maybe the worst actually does happen. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. I deserve it. I'm going to get it. Here's what happens. Now, now the men were frightened, the ten brothers of, of the eleven who showed up, when they were taken to Joseph's house. They thought, we were brought here because of the silver that was put back in our sacks the first time. He wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as slaves and take our donkeys. Now, this has taken a lot of research this week back into the Hebrew and the Ugaritic and, and the ancient Egyptian. So just hang on here. Our current love for country music, country western music, it actually goes back to Egypt. Did you know that? Well, just think about this because what's a good country western song? A good country western song, the singers are lamenting with those twangs. Uh, uh, my gal threw me out. She kept my house. She kept my beer. She kept my dog. She kept my pickup truck. Right? That's a good country western song. Now look at these brothers. We're brought here because the silver was put back in our sacks for the first time. He wants to attack us. He wants to overpower us. He wants to seize us as slaves. And oh no, he wants the donkeys too. <laughs> Why did they say donkeys for the last? It's our pickup. I see guys nodding. Yeah. Do anything, but don't take my pickup truck. Well... <clears throat> What is going on in here is we see the, 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 the way that the human heart is working, but we also have to understand that what is going on is here is what will happen. Will God step in? Will God step in and have Joseph actually grow up? When he was talking to the Hebrews, uh, God, uh, in, in, in the book of Hebrews, he, he mentions this. Now, it goes back, you know, over 2,000 years, but it goes back, and, and if Joseph had Hebrews, he would read this. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile you. Joseph's brothers are filled with fear. Joseph himself is filled with confusion. He doesn't know what to do. Will he seek revenge? Or will he use this moment recognizing that God is at work doing something different? If, if God is in this, Joseph will not seek re, uh, revenge, but he will seek, seek reconciliation. Uh, what would you do if you were Joseph in this position? Do you recognize that, that you know this is God at work, or do you recognize it's payback time for my brothers? Do not miss the grace of God and allow a root of bitterness to hurt ourselves and our relationships. And, and this is a tense moment. Will, will, will Joseph get even or will Joseph give grace? Now, 
we need to take a little pause here, and I'm going to start talking real fast again. Because there's another part, as we've marched through Genesis 37 to 50, we missed chapter 38. Uh, Chapter 37 ends with Joseph being sold into slavery. Chapter 38 focuses on uh, one of the brothers, Judah. And that brother is the one who said, let's not kill him, let's sell him and split the difference. You know, split it up. Uh, Judah is the one who... Who, who, you know, who, who will, from his line will come King David and come King Jesus. And Judah is the one who convinces them to take a lesser punishment. But in chapter 38, we have a strange incident where Judas, uh, Judah and, and no longer uh, Joseph is the focus. Why does it change? I, I think you gotta look at chapter 38 and then go forward to chapter 43 to understand Judah speaks up again. So I'm going to march through this, but here's what happens. Judah has three sons. And this is in between these 20 years, okay? Judah has three sons, and one of them marries a woman named Tamar, who's a foreigner. And Tamar's husband the old, is the oldest son of Judah, and he dies. And by law and by custom in, in, in ancient times, the, the wife would become the property, ancient times, ancient times, the wife would become the property of the next son. So... Uh, Tamar becomes the property of the next son, and he dies. Uh, and, and it's very clear that he died for his sin. Now, th- then, you know, here, here's, uh, here's Judah saying, okay, um, my first son dies, my second son dies, I have one son left, and Tamar, you're bad luck. Let's just, I'm connecting the dots here. I'm not going to give you to my third son. Forget the law, forget the custom, forget my integrity, forget everything about the respect that's going to be shown to me. Uh, you're just going to be a widow. Go sit over there. So then Judah takes uh, a vacation, not a vacation, he takes a business trip. And Tamar knows and finds out about it. And so she disguises herself on this business trip as a prostitute. Now, Judah has become a widower. That doesn't mean you should see a prostitute, but he becomes a widower. Okay? And as he's going on this business trip, he sees Tamar not knowing who she is because she's in disguise. And he has sex with her. But the price is, is he says, is a goat. Oh, golly, old times, huh? <laughs> the price is a goat, but he doesn't have a goat. So she says, I will take your seal, mainly a ring that you go like this on, and your staff is security. And, and so they have sex, and Tamar gets pregnant from that one time. And Judah never finds her again because she goes into hiding. Well, Judah finds out three months later, not knowing that Tamar was the prostitute he had sex with, and he finds out that she's pregnant, so he's ready to stone her. How dare you have sex outside of marriage? Isn't this cool? I mean, yeah, it's amazing. So before she is stoned, she sends back to Judah his seal and his staff, and she says, the one who owns these is the father of my baby. Tamar has done God's thing through her disguise, while Judah has done the wrong thing through his fear of losing another son. And here are the words. He says, she is more righteous than I. She is more righteous than I. Why does God want this story known? Well, to understand that our wrong choices can make, can help us make right choices in the future. Our wrong choices will help us make right choices in the future. So here we are. All these sons, they're all back in Canaan. 
Daddy Jacob will say, I'm not doing anything. Let's starve. I don't care. I'm, you're not going to make me lose Benjamin because I've already lost two sons. We're, you know, we're just going to stay here and hunker down. And Judah steps up. Judah steps up. What is he doing? He, he's taking on responsibility. He's growing up. And he says, Dad, look, count me as the one responsible to bring both Benjamin and Simeon back. And if I fail you, you can blame me for the rest of your life. That sounds like fun. Or you can disown me. Now, let me ask, how have you learned responsibility in your life? Do you understand that just like God is working here in the life of Judah, and and even though they may not see it in in the lives of all 12 of these brothers, he's often working, teaching them lessons through the bad choices they make in their lives so that next time they won't do the same. So he says, if I fail, blame me or disown me. And he is going from guilt to responsibility. We watch him finally growing up. So now this uh, this whole band, 11 of the, uh, 10 of the brothers, with one in prison and one in charge of Egypt, uh, they come back from Canaan and, and they go back to Egypt for more grain. And here's the big moment. They show up. This is where they said, oh, no, now he's going to kill us. You know, he's going to take our donkeys. And, and they show up. And then finally Joseph shows up as he's about to seat them. And, and he, he looks at Benjamin, who he hasn't seen in 20 years. And he says, in disguise, is this your youngest brother you told me about? And Joseph says, God be gracious to you, my son. And then he sits him at the table. To the other ten, he says, nothing. One gets the blessing, ten get nothing. Ready for the next part? He sits them at the table, Egyptians at another table, because they would never eat with Jews, okay? Egyptians at another table, and Joseph is with them, but he makes sure that as as the food is presented, that every one of his nine brothers... Plus Simeon, ten brothers, all there for dinner together. They all get a a healthy portion of food. But Benjamin gets five portions. This should bring back to you what happened. Because remember, what is it that made every, every one of his brothers so angry? So just, you know, angry at Joseph. It was his arrogance and the fact that he got special treatment. Daddy loved him better. Daddy loved him most. So at this key and final moment, there's a test going on. And Joseph is looking at his brothers, and they pass. His brothers also pass. They're not jealous of Benjamin. And, 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 and Joseph's test is he can now trust his brothers. Now, Romans, again, was written, you know, 2,000 years later, but here, here's what we read. Do not take revenge, my friends, Paul says to the Christians in Rome who are being persecuted by the Roman government, persecuted by the Roman religious system, uh, persecuted also by uh, business people. He says, do not take revenge on them, my friends. But leave room for God's wrath. It is written, it is mine to avenge. 
I will repay, says the Lord. What is the test that Joseph passed? He passes the test of saying, I can take revenge. I choose not to. I can get even. But I'm going to show grace. Friends, if you're among those who love to stay up at night thinking how to get even, call me. I've been up that way many times. Up that late. Just consumed by the fact that someone has wronged me. Let me say this also. If you want to form a committee called the Payback Committee, and you've got some friends who would just join you with it, and say, we don't like this guy either. Disband the committee. Take a sleeping pill. And read that verse in Romans. Why? Because it says, leave it to God. We have a justice system. We have a legal system. We have all these other systems. We don't have to be the ones that take revenge. More than that, he's saying God will do it. Whichever way he will do it, he will do it. You can let it go. He has better things for you than revenge. He has better things for you like reconciliation. More than that, there's spiritual things going on inside of this when you want to take your anger and towards others and, and cause revenge. If, if Joseph was reading Ephesians, and he never did because it was 2,000 years later, if Joseph was reading that, though, it, it says this, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Do not give the devil, anger, devil together, a foothold. See, the spiritual dimensions is every time we're consumed by anger, we are giving Satan ground. The word uh, foothold is the word topon in Greek. It's the same word we use for topography when we do maps. It means that you are giving Satan territory that God doesn't intend for him to have. Take it back. Take it back. This isn't Satan's territory for him to have. But through your anger and letting it consume you, understand he is gaining ground. So in, in two weeks from now, we're going to catch up and see how Joseph reveals his true identity. And that really is a corker, okay? But I promise you would look at Jacob and what he's like as a dad. Bad dad. Don't, don't use him as your example. But isn't it amazing? We look at all the frailties. Of, of, of the founders, the patriarchs of the Jews, we look at them all. And these are still the people God uses. You know why we call ourselves come as you are, church? Doesn't that make sense? Yeah, you might come with all sorts of human frailties. That does not discount you from being used by God. That's why you have to be looking at twelve at, at, at God's intentions behind the human circumstances. And every week I try to focus us on what are God's intentions, even though it seems like humans are messing it up. God is not messing it up. So God's intention is that these 12 brothers would band together again so they could forge a nation that God will use for eternity. But at this moment, they're fractured. So understand that one of the first intentions is that God's kingdom is really God's people. His first intentions hits our minds and our hearts. Uh, Joseph has been an Egyptian for 20 years, and, and some of those years he's number two leader of the entire country. But at the sight of his brothers again, even though they tried to kill him, the sight of those brothers brings back to him being in that family that God has chosen, the family of God. Understand that in the family of God, we're to be people of grace, 
People of forgiveness, people of restoration, people of reconciliation. Because we're God's people. So let me ask. Do you love the people of God? Do you love them? Somebody says blood is thicker than water. No, not not in my home. Can I share why? Um, I've been a Christian 50 years. In fact, this month is my 50th anniversary of becoming a Christian. Uh, I've been a Christian for 50 years. And um, about 10 years after that, I moved away. Didn't see my brothers or sisters for about, you know, uh, another six, seven years. Then I was the one that moved to Colorado. Then I was the one who moved to the deserts of California. Your brothers and sisters don't want to visit you there, I promise, okay? You you want to go with them because they're near the beach. They don't want to go to the desert. So over the years, who have been the people of God to me? Let me say it another way. For the last 18 years, who have been the people of God to me? Who have been the examples of the kingdom of God? to me. You. More than my brothers, my brother, more than my two sisters, more than my parents. You. The kingdom of God is the people of God. It is those that he rules in their hearts. And you have been better examples to me these last 18 years Not that my brothers, my brother or my two sisters have let me down. But you're here and I'm here. And I see you more often than them. God's intentions is that Joseph would understand, even though there's 20 years apart, it's time for reconciliation. Second thing is in the midst of this, Joseph is learning forgiveness. He's been on that mountain trail not getting an inappropriate question in an interview on television. He's been on the mountain trail. Why do I say this? Well, things have gone from bad from, work, from bad to worse. Sold by his brothers, put into a slave, put into prison, and, and forgotten while he's there. And suddenly, God raises him up. He has many reasons and many people to be angry at and to seek revenge for from. Um, so, yet, we find him at this point... Even though he's had one adversity after another, God has blessed him. Now they're back in his life, his brothers. They are needy and they are clueless. Forgiveness really counts when you're faced with the very people who need forgiveness from you. You're faced with the people who have maybe asked forgiveness from you. That's when it really counts. Can you give it? If Joseph was reading the letter to the Colossians, he would read six little words for the basis of our saying, I will forgive you. It's not, time is past and I'm okay. It's not, well, I'm working on it, but I'm not sure where it's going to end up. It's not, yes, I did it this night at that time. You're now forgiven. I'll never think about it again because that's just not humanity. These are the words. Forgive others as the Lord 
has forgiven you. The basis of our forgiving others is knowing we are forgiven. That's the whole foundation. Forgive others as the Lord has forgiven you. The question, friends, is not, have you forgiven this person? The question is, are you forgiven? It was an August night in 1965. I realized that I had neglected God. I had rejected God. I had especially gotten mad at my older brother for trying to bring God into my life when I was doing just fine. Thank you very much. But it was on an August night in 1965 where I sought the forgiveness of God. I said, Lord, it's not that I've done tons of bad things. I had, but it's not that. It's that I just haven't given you the proper place in my life. And I'm aware that I need forgiveness from you. Are you forgiven? Not by people. But have you learned that foundation of giving forgiveness to other people by forgiving others on this foundation as the Lord has forgiven you? If you have not, that's where faith starts. You realize that you're a person who needs forgiveness. And you simply ask. And believe me, friends, his bar is so low, you can't believe it. It's almost like you're dragging your feet and you're you're over his bar. Are you forgiven? Let's pray. I thank you, Jesus, that I've been forgiven by you for 50 years. And I thank you that every time that I'm aware of how I've let you down, that I come, I come back to you and I find more forgiveness. Thank you that it flows as I never would have imagined. Thank you that it allows me to be an imperfect being, but one just overflowing with forgiveness. And Lord, maybe somebody is here this morning who says... Well, I'm in church. That makes me a Christian. Maybe someone is saying, if I show up to the meetings, isn't that enough? I read my Bible this morning. I gave money. I helped my neighbor last week. No. Help them understand. Am I forgiven? Have I put myself before you and said, Lord, forgive me, a sinner? Father, if people are at that point today, I pray that they would just as simply as possible say, I've never done this. I thought being a Christian was my activities. No, it's your standing before God. That Jesus' death on the cross offered you forgiveness for every, uh, every area, every frailty of your life. And all you need to do is accept it. And Father, for many of us, it's the issue of 
Well, I know I'm forgiven. Now, Lord, empower me to go to the lives of others and forgive them just as you forgave me. Lord, empower June Steenkamp, who doesn't want to be bitter, but empower her by knowing she's forgiven. Empower each of us to use that as our foundation for offering forgiveness to others. And all of God's people said, Amen.